Welcome to She's Running, the podcast all about women who are running for office, from school board to Senate and everything in between. I'm Emily Jackson. Today's guest is Kristen Browdy, who is running for town supervisor in Newcastle, New York, which just so happens to include the town of Chappaqua, where one Secretary Hillary Clinton lives. Hey, so I'm back. (laughs) The show took a little break last week due to, well, life. Between a 60-hour work week, our water heater breaking and leaking all over creation, and foster puppy duties, life got a little busy last week. But this weekend, after all the craziness settled, I visited the Dallas Holocaust Museum. Talk about putting things into perspective. I don't know if it was my mindset or if the audio tour was actually designed this way, but it was shockingly easy to make parallels between the beginning of the Holocaust and current events. Countries turning away refugees, blaming all ills on groups of others, an outspoken leader who is distrustful of the media. Sound familiar? It's easy to say, okay, calm down. That's a bit of a stretch. But don't forget, our president just pardoned a man who proudly self-described his jail as a concentration camp. Small horrors add up. And it's hard to be on top of everything all the time. Life gets in the way. I know. So I have to work on making sure that my good intentions don't stay just that. And here's my ask for this week. How do you motivate yourself to keep going, to keep fighting, to push through the life gets in the way of it all? I'm serious about this. I want to know. Tweet me, email me, send me a freaking carrier pigeon. Just let me know what you do to stay active and motivated day after day. Because Lord knows I am not the expert in this arena. I'm going to start with a question I'm sure you've gotten a hundred times. What is Stronger Newcastle? Stronger Newcastle is a slate of three women, all of us mm-hmm. first-time candidates. It's myself running for town supervisor, Ivy Poole and Gail Markells, who are running for town board seats. We are the Democrats, the Working Families Party, and the Women's Equality Party candidates for those offices. We're endorsed by all three parties. Okay, the Women's Equality Party is something that most of us don't know about. So that's just in New York, right? That's correct. It's a New York political party that does have a line on the ballot because it did get, I believe, its threshold is 50,000 votes in the last gubernatorial election. And as a result, it has a ballot line and we're on it, which is kind of cool, especially from my perspective. Yeah, that's very cool. I want that here. <laughs> I want that option. Yeah, that, that it's kind of cool, except, you know, the reality is that there are very few members of the Women's Equality Party in our town. To be yeah. precise, there are three. Um, hopefully all three of them will be voting for us. But hey, you know, it's, it's good to be on every line you can be on. That's right. Let's go ahead and get you in- introduced here. Who are you and for what are you running? My name is Kristen Browdy, and I'm running for town supervisor, which is our version of mayor in the town of Newcastle, which is a town in Westchester County, New York, that encompasses the very well-known hamlet of Chappaqua, where Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton live, Mm -hmm. and Millwood, New York, um, which is another smaller hamlet. And it also has the home of our governor, Andrew Cuomo, who lives in a part of town that's actually served by the Mount Kisco Post Office. Okay, those are some very well-known town names, but where in the state are you located? We're 35 miles north of New York City. Um, We're really a bedroom community of New York City. Okay, 
why did you decide to run? It was not my idea. Um, <laughs> it really wasn't. In fact, if you had asked me on January 28th of this year if I were going to run for political office, I would have looked at you like you were nuts. Really? It happened that quickly? It did. Um, I had worked for the Clinton campaign in North Carolina by choice. Mm -hmm. um, I had worked really hard for them. And my line is, if you've got a transgender woman who's willing to go door to door in North Carolina for a cause, you know you've got somebody who will never back down from any challenge, yeah. anytime, anywhere. And there was a bunch of us. There, we, we went down there in force because we had a secondary goal, which we achieved. That was getting rid of Governor McCrory mm -hmm. uh, who, and, and the authors of HB2. And that was one of the few successes in the last election. But we got back and the question is, okay, what are we going to do now? And I went to the Women's March in Washington, brought my 13-year-old son, and it was immensely energizing, came back, and this question was the same. Okay, what are we going to do now? And Indivisible Westchester, the chapter here, had its organizing meeting on January 29th. And I thought, what the heck, let me go find out what these guys are, whether they're serious. And I didn't think there were going to be a whole lot of people there, mm -hmm. but why was I wrong? <laughs> I get to this church in the town of Larchmont, which is about 10 or 15 miles away, and the place is packed, lying out the door. It was, it was, it was almost enough to move me to tears. Um, it was just astonishing. They divided us up by towns, and people were talking about, oh, we got to take back Congress, we got to run for the Senate, we got to do, you know, all these federal things. And I'm like, excuse me, guys, but no, 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 no. What we have to do is do what the right wing of this country has done. And that is start at the school boards and the town boards and the county legislators, because that's the base of what has become the extreme right in this country. That's where they have done a brilliant job of organizing for 10 or 15 years so that they have this infrastructure. They've literally taken over 30 states mm -hmm. from top to bottom. And we have to cut that off. So I make my little speech. And at the end of it, three people who I don't know come come up to me and go, excuse me, could we talk to you for a second? I'm like, sure. And it turned out that it was the chairman of the county legislature and two members of the Democratic Party's nominating committee. And they said, um, would you consider running for town supervisor as a Democrat? And I said, well, I can see two problems right off the bat. Number one, I'm not a Democrat. And they sort of <laughs> said, well, you're not a Republican, are you? I go, no. For the first 35, 40 years of my career, I was a television news reporter. And back in an era when television news reporters didn't join political parties. Mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. I've never been a member of a political party in my life. And they said, okay, we can fix that. I said, then there's that other thing. And they're looking at me and I'm like, by the time you get to the transgender woman in town and ask her what, did everybody else say no? <laughs> and that, that, was, that was their reaction to and they said, no, 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 no. We really like what you had to say. Um, we'd like you to run. And I said, well, wait a minute. Have you thought this through? This is Hillary Clinton's hometown. Mm -hmm. If you are going to say Democrats nominate transgender woman to run for town supervisor, do you have any idea what kind of a storm you are going to unleash in the media? Remember, I'm a former television news reporter. I'm out as trans. That made the front page of, of, of pe the top of page six in the New York Post. Do you know what this is going to do? And they're like, yeah, we hadn't really thought that through. <laughs> they thought about it for a moment. And they said, you know, I don't think that's a problem. I think it's a good thing. 
So, look, this is a small town, population 18,000. Mm-hmm. We had nine television cameras <laughs> at my announcement. Wow. Um, that's all wrong on a macro level. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not that big a race. Then Teen Vogue wrote a story about it. And then Italian Vanity Fair. And there, there are publications in languages that I can't even read writing about this race. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I told you. And they're, they're loving it. And I'm going, okay, but the focus can't be gender because I'm not the transgender candidate. I'm the Democratic candidate. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference there. Um, at the time, I thought I was the only out adult who was trans in my town. Campaigning, I have learned that that's not true. Uh, there are actually three of us. And I've met the other two. <laughs> and that's awesome. Uh, I knew that we had trans kids in our school system because they'd asked me how to work with uh, a bathroom policy. And um, I told them to basically not have one because they obviously didn't have a problem because nobody was worried about it. And they agreed. So now they don't have a policy. They just do the right thing. Um, But the problem was taking the focus off my gender and getting it onto the issues. And fortunately in town, at this point, nobody asks me about gender. Out of town, nobody asks me about anything but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you Google you, it's like like you said, it's just article after article from Teen Vogue to The Advocate, you know, everything talking about you are the transgender candidate rather than talking about the things that you're running on and your platform and things like that. So I'm, I'm guessing that's been a huge struggle while you're getting, you know, press for your your campaign, the thing is that that you know that press is is nice and it's it's you know very flattering to me because they're making a big deal about me. Mm-hmm. But in town, that doesn't matter at all. That w- you know what I tell people in town is, look, my gender won't do a thing for you. What I do in office, that will, um, and that seems to be making some points. I'm doing the kinds of things that that you're supposed to do to get elected. That is talking to voters, going door to door, being at the farmer's market every Saturday morning to talk to more voters. And I've got to tell you, I've had probably at this point mm-hmm, close to a thousand contacts with voters. Wow. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing this since April. I've been uh, on doors for the past month or so. Um, and three of them have had something to say about gender. And all of them had something negative to say about it, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I expected that. And, you know, the, you, you get that uh, my favorite Facebook post was from one of the Trump supporters who called me a he and I, I'm, I'm going to try to get the quote exactly right. A he, she school board hack liar piece of dirt. Oh, geez. To which I said, wait, what? I was never on the school board. <laughs> um, you know, but that's, you know, that's the approach you got to take. This is not about gender. This is about making our town a better place. So what is your day job? I'm an attorney. Uh, I'm actually a family law attorney now. I got out of the television news business. Um, I was at CBS News until 2013, September. Uh, And since then, I've been practicing law full-time. Back then, I was practicing part-time. So I have a small law firm. And I help clients go through some fairly tough things. And, and, and that's, a, that's another of my kind of stock lines. Look, if I can handle couples who come into my office ready to kill each other because they want a divorce, and if I can get them to a settlement, 
You think town government's going to be hard? <laughs> That's pretty good. So how did you go from having a or getting your law degree to television? Well, I, I actually was in television when I got my law oh, degree. Oh, okay. That uh, was a mid-career sort of goof more than anything else. I was had no intention of being a lawyer. Um, I was working at WNBC Channel 4 in New York as a street reporter. And one of the things I was reporting on was technology. And this was back in the early 90s when the internet was this new thing. Mm -hmm. And I was always talking about what was going on on this new thing called the internet. Um, and at that time, the Reagan administration was writing something called the Communications Decency Act and pushing it through Congress. Uh, and this was this was supposedly some great weapon against child pornography. And the law school, which I later attended, held a First Amendment forum, and they chose that as the topic for their First Amendment forum that year. And they held a panel discussion on it, and they got the deputy attorney general of the Justice Department, who was writing the law, and they got the head of the New York City Police, not the head, one of the uh, senior officers of the New York City Police Department's computer crime squad that was a new squad that was going to go enforce the law. They got some professor to talk about how the law had to keep up with technology. And the professor who's organizing this looked at it and goes, gosh, that's a kind of boring panel we have here. Let's get the guy on television who's always talking about this. <laughs> and that was me. So I go and I listen to these guys and I go, you know, they, they, they all spoke first. I was the last one to speak. You know, oh, um, these guys are really smart. Um, but let me tell you what the problems are here. Number one, this law, there's no way it's going to be constitutional. But even if it's constitutional, I've got to ask the question, why are you going after this problem with this weapon? Think of all the child pornography on the Internet as, and let's compare it to all the water in the world. All the child pornography is all the water in one little tank on top of a New York City apartment building. Why don't you go after child pornographers the way you, when, they, when they're touching kids? Because if you try to do it this way, you're never going to catch anybody. And I explained the concept of anonymous remailers, which was the early version of VPNs, and how they were never going to catch anybody. And at the end of it, the professor who had invited me came up to me and said, I had no idea that you were a lawyer. I said, <laughs> I'm not. And she said, well, you know, you talk like a lawyer. I go, oh, gee, thanks a lot. And she goes, no, 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 it's a law school. It's a good thing to talk like a lawyer here. She said, would you like to go to law school? I looked at her and said, you haven't seen my college transcript, have you? And she said, no, no, no it doesn't matter. I said, it's really bad. And she said, it doesn't matter. I go, how is that possible? She says, well, at Fordham, it takes two votes on the admissions committee to get in. There were three of us in the room. You put in an application, you'll get in. Oh, wow. So I put in my application and they call me back and go, okay, your application looks great, except for one thing. Where are your LSAT scores? And I was like, my what? I had no clue what an LSAT <laughs> was back then. And they said, well, you have to take it. It's, it's, we can't admit you without it. So I'd missed the deadline. So I went back to my boss and said, boss, um, should I go to law school? He goes, I don't know. Um, go talk to legal. I go talk to the legal department at NBC. Guys, should I go to go to law school? And they go, please, go to law school. I go, why? Said, well, then if we tell you you can't do something, you will know why. And maybe you'll listen to us. I, I, I did have a reputation for kind of stretching things a little bit. Um, so that's how I got to law school. 
And I had no intention of being anything but a better reporter. But I've got to tell you, I've never had a more fun in my life until now than going to law school. It was fascinating approaching it from the other side. I'd been a journalist. I'd covered the Supreme Court. I was, the, I was CNN's first Supreme Court correspondent. I'd interviewed Supreme Court. This is on camera, including Warren Burford. But I really didn't know what the hell I was talking about um, until I went to law school. And I started practicing law on the side. And when I left CBS, when they decided that a 63-year-old anchor was too expensive and, uh, um, you know, the 63-year-old wasn't what they wanted for their audience, um, I had a career sitting there waiting for me and I just had to go full time. But you know, that that actually turned out to, I thought that was a disaster. It turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened to me. That's a great story. It's actually made all the better by being absolutely true. Yeah. Because um, at that point, uh, I had not come out, of course. I was working at CBS News and at a time when they were not likely to be terribly fond of somebody who was on their air saying, oh, by the way, I've got this thing that I haven't told you. But all of a sudden, for the first time in my adult life, I didn't have a morals clause or anything like that that was something to worry about. All I had was my existing clients and future clients to worry about. So I was like, oh, wow. And uh, that led to me coming out. And that was easily the best thing that I've, best decision I've ever made except for having kids. And um, it ultimately led me to running for election. And that's what I'm doing yeah. now. So what has the process of running for office been like for you? I mean, you said you spend your Saturday mornings at the the farmer's market. And I, in my head, there's like a whole picturesque, you know, upstate New York at the farmer's market. Everybody's perfect kind of thing. No, no <laughs> sure. nobody's perfect. Everybody, everybody's, everybody's looking very casual. <laughs> and it's at, it's, it's, it's at our, it's at our commuter railroad station, Metro, our Metro North station that takes where you get the train to go down to New York City. Um, but it's a really nice thing. And I got to tell you, uh, if you like mozzarella or if you like pickles, man, do we have some amazing food. Anyway, um, so that's that's my Saturday morning. But um, the right now, the bulk of it is from 4 to 7 every night or from 4 till sundown. Um, I go door to door. I go talk to voters. Um, and, uh, you know, then there's the obnoxious part of it, the fundraising which you've got to do. So I spend some time on the phone every day um, and uh, dealing with the various things that uh, go along with running for office, including in this town, um, a lot of the communications. And, and I've got to say that my opponent, uh, who is uh, a kind of unusual candidate, uh, is extremely effective in his Facebook communications. So I had to be become much better, and I still have a long way to go in you know, competing with him on Facebook. He has incumbents advantage and he is not shy about using the town's resources uh, in very clever ways to further his message. Um, but the fact of the matter is he only won re-election two years ago by 301 votes. And he's running as a Republican. Donald Trump may be really bad for the country, but he's really good for my campaign. <laughs> is your town like, you know, is it Republican, more Republican, more Democrat, pretty evenly matched? It's really an interesting town. Um, the town went 70% for Hillary Clinton. After all, she lives here. Um, mm -hmm. 
It is by registration, 60% Democratic, about 20%, 25% unaffiliated, and about 10 to 15% Republican, and a couple of folks in minor parties. But here's the odd thing. My opponent, who runs as a Republican and endorses right-wing and Trump Republicans, anytime you call him a Republican, he'll go, oh, no, 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 I'm nonpartisan, or I'm a Democrat, and he'll whip out his registration card, and he's a Democrat. Really? Yes, he is, because he knows that if he actually came clean and you know joined the party that he endorses and that has nominated him, he'd be dead. So he has always run as a Republican, endorsed other Republicans, but oh, don't call him a Republican. In fact, four years ago when he first, it was the second time he ran, but it was the first time he ran for town supervisor, when the Democrats called him a Republican, he complained to the Fair Election Practices Board that they shouldn't call him a Republican because he was a registered Democrat, to which the fair elections, uh, we have a fair elections practices board here in our county. Uh, they came out with an opinion that said, I'm sorry, you're running on the Republican line. You're a Republican <laughs> dude. And we're reminding him of that fact at every opportunity. Are you running against him in a primary? No, he threatened a primary me because he is a registered Democrat. But uh, it's not clear whether he couldn't get the signatures or, or what his actual reason was, but he backed out of it. We turned in a record number of signatures. We needed about 200 and, I, sorry, 319 signatures of registered Democrats to get on the ballot. And we had over 900. Wow. Yeah, we, we were not. Look, um, when, when I said I was going to run, uh, this was not. Uh, the world has had a, a lot of trans candidates. Many of them, unfortunately, in races where they had no chance of winning. This year, we have 21 transgender individuals around the nation, of whom I'm aware, who are running for various offices. Four of us have good chances of winning. One of us, um, Andrea Jenkins in Minneapolis, who's running for city council, ought to win. Philippe Cunningham, who is also running in Minneapolis for city council in another district, may very well win. Uh, Danica Rome, who's a good friend of mine and for whom I've campaigned down in Virginia, has a really good chance of winning. She's gotten a lot of support. And then there's me. Um, I've got a tougher race because I'm running against this kind of weird hybrid of a, of, of a Republican who claims he's a Democrat. But if I do what I'm supposed to, and if I raise enough money to, to get our uh, digital game going, we ought to win this race. What are your core issues? The core issues are really hyper-local things like development and the environment. My opponent has fast-tracked projects uh, that are immensely threatening to, uh, wild, to, through, to natural resources without environmental reviews. Um, he has uh, flip-flopped on critical issues. We have, a, we have an affordable housing project. We need affordable housing in our town. Uh, we have very little of it. Um, but he championed a project in literally a sliver of land between the railroad tracks and a highway off-ramp. There is nothing else. It is literally from the highway ramp to the railroad tracks with no way out except across the off-ramp to the freeway. Um, and now he says, oh, no, that's, that, was, that was, he got elected. Um, and, and immediately reversed course on it and said, oh, this is a terrible site, which everyone agrees it is. It's ridiculous. It's building affordable housing in a place that will instantly not only stigmatize, but endanger 28 families who are going to move into the, to this project once it's built. 
And on top of that, it's being built on top of a, of a brownfield. Uh, and it's just absurd. Um, his record on environmental issues is one that I characterize as completely irresponsible. He doesn't think first. He acts first. All he cares about is his next Facebook post. If it looks good, it's, it's like Donald Trump tweets he posts on Facebook. You know, he brags about, oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing that. But what we're doing hasn't been thought through. He has an, um, a major infrastructure project, which is going now, which has been so badly bungled that it's probably two and a half, three months into it. And we're already two months behind schedule. And the budget is probably 50% over already. And we're doing less work than the initially promised and paying more. That's the kind of thing that makes a difference in this town, as opposed to the publicity that you see. If you Google it and you see all the, the national articles that have been written about the, the race. So what's the th something that's really surprised you about running for office? Almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had no clue what I was getting in for. Um, but I've got to tell you, it's, it's been immensely energizing and it's, I'm having a blast because I am talking to everybody in this town. And I happen to live in a town that is um, a lot different than, than most in, in a couple of ways. Um, diversity here is virtually non-existent. The, the median income, median now, is $180,000. Whoa! Yeah, this is a wealthy town. Um, but what that means is that you have some amazingly accomplished individuals, people who... It, given the chance, can come up with solutions to the problems that we have. And as I'm going door to door to talk to these people, I'm hearing some great ideas and meeting some amazing folks. And that's super cool. That's that's like the, the, the real hidden bonus of this campaign is that I am getting to learn from these fabulous people their concepts on how we can solve complex problems that affect every part of this town. And that's just wonderful. Well, this has been such a great conversation. <laughs> you are so easy to talk to. I just imagine you talking to everybody in your town. I mean, it just must be so much fun. Exactly. It is. Where can people find you if they're interested in your campaign? There are two places on the web where you can look for us. My personal campaign site is imwithkristen.com, no apostrophe after I'm. I am with Kristen.com and the the team of us, the three of us, have a site called StrongerNewcastle.org. And uh, you can go to either place and find out detail about the platform. Um, on I'm with Kristen.com, you can volunteer, you can you can send money on either one of those sites. Um, but uh, you know, we we are interested in and we are forming alliances with progressive candidates across the nation, because the, the real deal is that we're doing it in our town, but in every town across this nation, the way to bring back responsible government, to get rid of government by tweet and erratic lurching from one right-wing cause to another is to get involved. And the three of us have never run for anything, but we're gonna win this election. And Everybody in every town has to have that attitude. They have to get to work to take back their towns, too. Hear, hear. This has been great. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Glad to do it. 
And that's it for today. Big thanks to Kristen Browdy for talking to me. She's got a tough fight ahead, and she's going to need all the support she can get. So check her out on Facebook at Kristen Browdy, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-B-R-O-W-D-E. On Twitter, she is at Chrissy C-B, C-H-R-I-S-S-I-E-S-E-E-B. And don't forget to find out more about Stronger Newcastle at strongernewcastle.org. Please follow She's Running on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The show is at She's Running Pod on all platforms. And you can find us at She's Running Pod.com also. And I am very serious about tweeting or emailing me your, I guess, tips and tricks for keeping the fight going. What do you do to stay motivated? I really want to know. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon.